Welcome to the 11th episode of Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam, part of the Toronto-based fixed income sales team, and Jordan Sugar, one of our provincial bond traders. This week's episode is titled, The End is Near. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. I'd like to welcome Adam and Jordan back to the show. Their appearance is well-timed with provincial markets front and center once again. There are plenty of topics to cover here, but we should start with the Bank of Canada's PBPP, or Provincial Bond Purchase Program. Earlier this week, or late last week, depending on when uh, you would randomly check the Bank of Canada's website, uh, the Bank of Canada announced that they are cutting back to one tender per week from two for the PBPP. Risk was already under pressure ahead of that announcement, and that added to the widening of provincial spreads. The Bank of Canada said that the move was because the market is functioning well, and it's consistent with their other moves to back away from supporting the market. Adam and Jordan, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Good to be back, Ben. Thank you very much for having us again. I'm surprised you let us back after last time. <laughs> You're very entertaining. How could I not? Uh, so let's let's start with you, Jordan. Uh, and how do you view the latest changes to the provincial bond purchase program? Yeah, so we found out uh, via the Bank of Canada website early Monday morning that there's going to be, as you mentioned, just one tender per week. And it's definitely a sign of the program starting to taper off. And I think that uh, it would be tough to dissect the, the market reaction from the global risk-off tone when, uh, when the clients and the dealer community seem to take notice that it switched to one tender. So it, I think any, uh, any backup in spreads was uh, a little bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction. The credit boxes are what I think is the most important to be uh, focused on. And I think you see them move in the direction that they moved once, uh, once it became clear that the uh, PBPP is coming to an end in May. The spirit of the program is that they will respond to the market as needed. And I guess this is a sign that the market is in better shape and should come to an end uh, in the next couple of months. Thanks for that, Jordan. I think you have to question the timing a little bit, though. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what the rush was here to, to do this on this week when markets were already under pressure. Uh, I mean, I guess they could have done it a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks from now or next week if things are a little more stable. But I, I think it, I'm, I'm I, I think we should question the timing at least a little bit and, and just maybe uh, not understanding that uh, the market's still digesting a fair amount of provincial issuance that we've seen from, from mid-January through, through to mid-Feb. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, it did seem odd, definitely not the best timing, and, uh, and I would have waited for, uh, for me, you know, like you said, some supply to be out of the way and just the uh, global backdrop on, uh, on firmer footing, for sure. They've tapered this program, like we can call it that. It's still in place till May 6th, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, and, and so we've got kind of the initial reaction to the taper. Do you expect a further impact when they actually wind the program down altogether? Uh, and and when, when this thing ends on May 6th, is there going to be another widening in spreads? Or maybe we've, we've kind of through the worst of it here. And now the market's effectively on its own. And, and Bank of Canada really isn't the same 
support that it has been over the past number of months. I think the credit boxes will continue to do what they've done over over the past couple of days, and that is definitely in the in tens thirties. The Ontario fifty thirty box uh, continuing to flatten. Uh, one week ago, it was uh, trading in the context of twenty basis points, and you know it last uh, was last trading at uh, sixteen basis points. So uh, so that's a big flattening move. That's four basis points. Um, we would have been talking about that at the bar very excitedly uh, over the past couple of days. So that is a big move and not to be dismissed. But I don't think there's much more the Bank of Canada can do to show any more signs of tapering. So you have one tender per week. You have a $350 million target. You know, the past two months has been typically around a $750 million target, but the fills have been uh, in the context of about 50% or so. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see a tender where it's a hundred million dollar target. I don't see the point of that. And if clients and, you know, and, you know, dealer uh, and other dealers were were paying close attention to what they were posting on the website, they had been dialing back the target amounts over the past two months. And on certain, uh, on certain weeks when, uh, when maybe 250 million was, uh, was purchased instead of uh, their target amount, um, it's not like we saw spreads move materially uh, wider or tighter. On the back of that, and so this announcement comes out, you get your knee-jerk reaction. The credit boxes move because that's where they're going with this program uh, about to be done. And uh, but I don't think the spread movement uh, wider is uh, is warranted right now. Okay, uh, one one more question for you, Jordan, uh, before we we move on to Adam. How does the PBPP play into your thinking when you're pricing trades? Before you know whether the bond's el- eligible or not. In general, is that does that drive your pricing in any way? Are you more willing to take risk knowing that the Bank of Canada could take you out of that at a future date? Um, I guess that how has your thinking evolved there over the past number of months? And now that the program shrunk, has anything changed? In general, I don't let that influence how I'm pricing any risk. I think that you know on some of the uh, the smaller, shorter dated high coupon lines, you know, in the back of my mind, I might remember in that moment if I'm bidding on. Uh, you know, let's say the Sasky high coupon 22s, it's good to know that that is in the tender, you know, the next day, but, but any real material risk, you know, we, uh, we try to uh, put the best price on it for the client and move whatever risk we have to afterwards, because there's just, uh, you know, it's too much time in between pricing risk, and then uh, and then the tender that would be uh, later in the week, whether it's a day later, or two days uh, from the time you add that risk. So I don't think in short, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't influence my decision. I do think that Having the general backstop there, knowing that you would be able to sell some risk in the, in you know in the tender the next day, that does help in general for credit. Um, so it would be misleading to say that uh, that you don't take it into account at all. But line by line, um, I would say no, don't uh, don't focus on that. Okay, fair enough. Adam, let's move to you. Are your clients concerned about the program ending? What are they What are they telling you? Uh, well, so the the interesting part is like none of my clients are are you know surprised by the fact that the program is tapering. I think most of them are surprised that it wasn't tapered earlier on. The biggest surprise is on the reaction, uh, the reaction on the curve, and you know the the knee jerk reaction to spreads and, and why things widen so aggressively. Now you know the the backdrop when that happened was also pretty negative. Stocks were down pretty heavily at that time too, so I'm sure that had a bit of an influence, but. The consensus was, and it had been for some time, that the you know the provincial market was functioning very well. They were doing a ton of issuance, and that you know maybe this program 
wasn't really needed at this moment. So, so there really wasn't a lot of shock there. Uh, and it was just, just more a reaction function of spreads where, where especially, you know, as Jordan was talking about in terms of the boxes, uh, you know, some of the, the steepening that we saw in fives, tens, after we saw massive flattening in it, some of the flattening we saw in tens, 30, some of those box moves were, were really dramatic. So I, I, that's where I think the real surprise was not in the program slowing down. So it's fair to say that your clients don't expect any more reaction when the PVP actually does wind down eventually. Yeah, I think at this point, it's more of a supply side story uh, than it is the PBPP winding down. I mean, the, the expectation as we go through budgets uh, is that borrowing programs are going to still remain pretty robust. So, you know, I, I think if spreads were to widen out here, they wouldn't be shocked, but they're not expecting, you know, the drastic moves like we saw earlier this week where things are widening out three basis points in a day or four basis points in a day as uh, you know maybe the tick up on this PBPP lightens up you know they've thought my client base generally has thought that the proby market has been functioning fairly well so uh, you know maybe we do get some widening but that's more in relation to additional supply and, and it shouldn't be as fast or as violent. And, and how do you think the shape of the credit curve evolves here as the PBP winds down yeah, that to me and, and to a lot of the clients I talked to, I uh, was a little bit telling this week. Like I think, you know, it looks like tens definitely are, are the most vulnerable and you could see more steepening in that fives, tens box. And that's really because, you know, the provinces are going to continue to tap the 10 year sector and you're going to lose, you know, what's been a natural buyer. Now you have a situation where the 10 years that they're tapping, you know, are now getting longer than what the PBB program was willing to accept. But it's still just you know more net supply uh, in that ten year part of the curve, uh, whereas you know in the in the shorter end of the curve, you know you don't have the same same compl- uh, supply problems. So you know it looks like tens will probably take the brunt of it. That probably means we get tens bonds flattening back, maybe even as far as some of the old ranges. Where you know maybe we even go back into single digits. So uh, tens look the most vulnerable from here, I think. How about you, Jordan? Uh, you are in agreement with Adam that uh, tens are, are the most vulnerable part of the credit curve here. Yes, absolutely, definitely. Tens uh, are going to take the brunt of this move, and and they have. But the the main move uh, that we've seen in the credit boxes, as I mentioned before, is in uh, is in the long end with uh, with longs just really flattening in and uh, gaining ground versus tens. Uh, fives have uh, have uh, have done an, have done okay, but really, it's uh, the story is in the long end here. The Bank of Canada had not been buying longs and, you know, had been focused on tens. And we discussed this last time that Adam and I were here, that, that when this program does start to wind down and, uh, and uh, it becomes clear that it's coming to an end and not extending, that we do expect those boxes to, uh, to flatten. And, uh, and so we've seen that. But all that to say that uh, I still don't think that it is much of a, uh, a credit widening move overall. Okay, I think uh, provincial bondholders will be happy to hear that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw out a bit of a curveball here. I didn't discuss this with you guys earlier, but uh, oil prices are up another 2% today. Uh, WTI is at $63. WCS is also climbing nicely, and, and that's uh, moved all the way up to it's about 50 bucks now. It's at $52 today um, on Wednesday afternoon. Adam mentioned that provincial budgets, provinces are going to have to keep borrowing uh, pretty notably. I mean, it, uh, is there a chance that as we get this better economic rebound, I think, than most people have expected, maybe the expectations about uh, provincial issuance are, are too high and they won't need to borrow quite as much? And 
uh, maybe the peripherals, and, and I would point to Alberta in particular, maybe have a, a good amount of room to, to rich in here if oil prices can can stay at these levels, and maybe they, they, they even move higher. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in here. I think you know, you're stealing my thunder when I was anticipating a trade idea. I think it makes sense to look at the relationships among all the different provinces, um, specifically the, the peripheral provinces, to each other pre-pandemic and where we are now. And a lot of those relationships have gone back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. And Alberta longs, in the long end uh, specifically, um, have lagged that move. And I do think, given the oil story, given the better fiscal backdrop for the province of Alberta, that they are lagging. And I would keep an eye on Alberta longs versus versus the others. I'm not saying to uh, necessarily to sell any other province versus Alberta, but those relationships, uh, I think, need to uh, need to come back to uh, pre-pandemic levels, specifically for for long Alberta. Adam, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, t- I agree with Sugar. I think Alberta uh, looks attractive. I mean, they have a still a fairly large borrowing program, but I think, you know, when that budget comes out tomorrow or on Thursday, that you're going to see, you know, a, a pretty nice uptick in forecasts for oil prices, given that, you know, it's been on the rise, but we've also seen a little bit of stability here. Like we've had oil prices kind of north of 50 bucks for quite some time, not WCS, but, and so I think that will help uh, in terms of some of the, the deficit and some of the financing needs that you're going to see from Alberta. So I think they will benefit. I've seen clients coming into Alberta uh, ahead of them releasing their budget because I think that expectation is, is out there kind of on the street. And with all in yields where they are now, you know, Alberta, that's a lot of pick against some of the other provinces. So your, your all in just looks great. So I do think, you know, that's probably a, a decent province to be in. And I don't mind, actually, BC is another one. I think BC Long's, you know, that's been fairly steady. That's a province where, you know, if you read any of our uh, economic forecasts or the pieces that that Rob Kavsik is putting out, uh, you know, we've got a pretty positive uh, GDP growth outlook for BC. They didn't have anywhere near the same level of lockdowns that, you know, provinces like Ontario had. So I think they fiscally are, are in a pretty good spot. And, you know, nobody likes to pay away spread when they're uh, investing in provies. But, you know, when you're talking about BC 50s at, you know, maybe minus four and a half or minus four relative to Ontario 50s, and then you factor in that 50s, 51s is inverted in Ontario, uh, you know, you're really only giving up two and a half to three beeps to own a long BC. And I think that their fiscal picture looks a lot better. So I think BC is another one where you could see, you could see some performance or there's a province that looks maybe a little bit cheap, but Alberta, I think Alberta's probably got the most room to run. Okay, cool. So I guess I guess broad agreement there that uh, the peripherals and, and Alberta in particular uh, maybe maybe have some room here to uh, to improve. Generally, I'm going to move on to our next topic, uh, and, and this is I guess uh, something that I've I've been talking about a lot, and and uh, something I've been dead wrong about. Uh, so Canada's traded incredibly poorly cross market for the for a number of weeks now, uh, and especially over the past couple of weeks or so. Uh, my 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 bullish Canada U.S. thesis has been has been dead wrong. Uh, I, I mean, I, I still like the fundamentals of the argument; uh, they still make sense. But uh, that's just not the way things have gone for a little while. The way I see this is, I, I really think it is an, an issuance-driven uh, move here. You've had the biggest flow of provincial new issues uh, from kind of mid-January to mid-February that we've seen since April. So, kind of the, the moving average, the rolling total of, of that amount has been uh, pre- pretty sizable, and that that's uh, tough for the market to digest. Uh, so I think that that that's probably part of what's going on here, and, and assuming the provinces back off a little bit, and they, and they should, given that budget season is approaching, and that that means blackouts for many of them, 
that should help things as, as time uh, helps digest those uh, those new issues. Uh, but another aspect is is the commodity price thing, and 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 the fact that commodity prices have moved up so sharply. And while that's a benefit for Alberta and Alberta Credit, um, it's also bullish for the macro backdrop and uh, lends to the theme that the Bank of Canada is going to be earlier to pull back on stimulus in the Federal Reserve. Uh, and and I think that's something that a lot of people have probably latched onto. And uh, the fact that the bank's going to be tapering before the Fed, uh, even if the tapering is is almost entirely due to the fact that that government and candidate issuance is going to be down, uh, we'll get the budget maybe at some point next month. It could be some rumors it might get delayed into April, the, the federal budget. Uh, but issuance is going to be down notably in the next fiscal year. And so the bank candidate just can't keep buying at the pace they are uh, without becoming too dominant a part of the market. So that, I mean, despite that fact, I mean, at this point, it, it's uh, Canada's just traded so poorly. Maybe we're nearing the end of that. Maybe we'll, if, if the provinces back off, they, the, the, the issuance will get digested a bit better. Let's start with Adam on this one. Adam, do you think there's much further for Canada to underperform or uh, are we maybe nearing the end of that given uh, kind of stretch levels in five for sure, fives and tens, uh, I mean, underperforming significantly in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed it in terms of like wh- why it's happening in Canada. I mean, we definitely uh, there's been a couple of bulge brackets calling for tapering. I even heard someone say it was an imminent tapering for Bank of Canada purchases, and that has really had a big impact on on our market and a big impact on the steepening and a big reason that we've been kind of underperforming. You look at some of the cross market levels, like 30 years is one where, where I've been kind of keeping my eye on that. You know, uh, tens, we've kind of blown through resistance. I think I think tens, we could continue to underperform here. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked because, you know, looking at the chart, we could still cheapen up another 15 beeps versus the US before we see, you know, the next really definitive level where Canada should find a bit of a footing. You know, longs is a little different. Okay, we've definitely kind of tested where we are right now in longs uh, a few times. You know, back to kind of throughout 2020 uh, in the long end, we're not that dissimilar from where we got. Minus 32 level in longs, minus 33 level in longs. You know, if you look at going through, say, November, uh, you look at kind of the end of January, you look October, you know, in these kind of low minus 30s, 32 minus 33, we've kind of found support a number of times. So maybe in the long end, it's time that we actually do do see some support and Canada stops selling off. Uh, but I don't have the same conviction in, in tens. Uh, fives, you know, we have seen a couple of players come into buy fives on our curve. They've looked cheap twos fives. They've looked cheap cross market. But you know, if you look at some of the forwards, say you look at like a one-year, one-year, three-year, one-year, for instance, that curve in swap land has steepened very dramatically since the start of the year. And if you look at the, say, the slope of the twos, fives curve relative to one-year, one-year, three-year, one-year, the one-year, one-year, three-year, one-year suggests that fives should have been a lot cheaper. So that curve has gone straight up and had cheapened up from kind of about the middle of January or beginning of January. And, and fives now seem like they're catching up to that move. But that steepening in the forwards curve hasn't stopped yet. So I think fives have more room to go. I think that uh, you know they they look cheap here on a cross market basis, but I don't see a reason why you know that can't continue and, and we can get some, to some uh, some pretty hefty extremes going back you know many 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 years. I mean, even if you look at say some of the curves, uh, you know you have these instances where twos tens, for instance, 
uh, can steepen very dramatically when you get into uh, the end of rate cutting cycles. And if that's kind of where we are, then, then you know, I think you could keep seeing the curve steepen and you could see more pressure in fives, more pressure in tens. That's fair. We're looking at the forward curve, looking at the forward space. We, we Right now, uh, I see the first full Bank of Canada rate hike price by December 2022. And there's another 50 basis points plus 60 basis points, really, in, uh, in, in, in 2023. Uh, that's definitely on the aggressive side. I mean, I'm easily the most macro bullish guy that, that I know. And I think that's kind of the most optimistic case would be the bank uh, hiking kind of late 2022 and then maybe a couple more times in 2023 every six months or so. Uh, but that, I mean, that that's almost the most optimistic case and that's what we currently have priced and, and it doesn't seem like we're going to end there. So uh, further south and five would suggest that you're going to see even more aggressive bank pricing uh, and, and relative to what's being priced for the Fed, like the bank is being priced 50 basis points more aggressive than the Fed at this point, which again, that for me is the extreme. You You can't go further than that without the Canadian dollar really getting out of hand. So I, it, from, from my perspective, it looks like we're, we're, we should be close to the extremes in the five-year point, just from looking at it from a policy perspective. Doesn't mean we can't go further. Doesn't mean extremes can't get pushed there even further. But uh, that, that that's one thing. The other I'd note is on March 1st, uh, there is a, a decent Canada index extension because we have kind of sizable issues in, in March and September now that there is, there is a, a pretty good extension in the uh, short and mid indices that should help the sectors. It's not going to do anything for, for tens or longs, but uh, it, it should provide at least a little bit of support to the five-year sector uh, as, as we go through month end. Uh, before we conclude, I'd like each of your top trade ideas at the moment. Try to stick to the Proby theme if you can. Anything you have high conviction on. Uh, Adam, if you got another product you want to talk about, that's, that's totally cool as well. Uh, why don't we start with Jordan? I kind of took your idea or, or brought your idea out to the fore a little bit earlier. Reiterate that. Tell us... Uh, what you like best in Proviland at the moment. So now that you've already stole my uh, my thunder and my trade idea, I would quickly uh, reiterate uh, just to go back and look at charts on where uh, stuff was trading pre-pandemic and what those relationships were, because I do think they do have to come back to where they once were. But I think on the last podcast, I talked about the 20-year sector and uh, and how that looked uh, versus longs and versus tens. You know, while I still think that that uh, 20-year sector looks good and uh, you have the Bank of Canada buying the long bonds uh, to thank for that, but... Um, I would say that now might be some time to take a little bit of money off the table there. Um, if you've owned, you know, anything in the, let's say, uh, you know, 2035 to uh, 2040 uh, sector. So, you know, Ontario 35s, Ontario 41s, those have all rolled down quite nicely. When we last did this podcast, the credit pick out of longs uh, was north of 10 basis points. I think it was even closer to uh, to almost 12. Now that's about eight basis points. So I think it makes more sense to sell uh, some of the stuff that's rolled down the curve nicely and uh, and and not necessarily outright, but either versus longs or reload versus uh, stuff in that 25-year sector, the Ontario 45s, the Ontario 46s, uh, being the two highest yielding Ontario bonds out there. Uh, and of course, you can do that in uh, in any of the peripherals in Alberta or BC uh, or Manny, but obviously Ontario will provide in Quebec the, uh, the best liquidity. So I think that makes the most sense right now. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Jordan. Adam? What are your top ideas at the moment? Uh, yeah, so I'll kind of go two. So, so one is a trade that we've actually done a bunch of already this week. And, and I think a number of accounts, like the, the accounts that look 
uh, at uh, or are looking at, say, the provincial market relative to the corporate market. We've done a bunch of this already, but but uh, I think Provi spreads the give out of some of these utility credits or like high quality, say, bank spreads, that thing, that type of credit, for instance. The give is, is so scant that it really wouldn't take much of a risk backup to pay off. Uh, you know, one trade that we've been flogging was Alberta 27s relative to utilities. You know, the give there looked to be about, uh, about eight basis points of carry over the course of a year that you'd be giving up. You know, that's the type of thing that you could you could make over the course of two trading days, let alone uh, over the course of a year. So I think Provi spreads are very tight to high quality corporate spreads. I think that trade should continue to be explored. You know, we're right in the middle of bank reporting season. Uh, there will be bank funding coming through the market. The ARBs are on side for them to do their funding in the domestic market. And you know, while the first couple of deals might go well, eventually you get to a point where, you know, the bonds are in weak hands and, and they start to underperform. And uh, and just to position yourself for, you know, if we do get a risk wobble, you know, you, you can protect yourself by being long the provincial sector. Uh, meanwhile, you know, I don't think you're going to have a situation where provies are going to trade cheaper than bank spreads. So I think your downside is pretty limited. It's really just the carry and, and it doesn't take much to give up on that. Uh, the second one I wanted to kind of note was CMBs. So one of the most interesting things about the sell-off in the Provi market when they announced this PBPP thing was that CMBs got hit beep for beep along with Provis, even though they'd ended the CMB program months prior and had nothing to do with the PBPP program, CMBs underperformed tick for tick, which I think is really interesting. makes CMBs, to me, it makes CMBs look very, very cheap. Uh, I think it's worth noting, you know, the CMB funding program, it was bigger last year, went from 40 billion to 60 billion. This year, it's right back to 40 billion. So it's not like provinces where you're seeing a ton more issuance come in uh, and the uh, issuance profile keeps growing. It's gone right back to where it was at only 40 billion. Uh, And the other thing I'd like to point out is, you know, if you look at the CMB asset swap curve, so this is like, you know, bank treasuries are often, this is kind of exclusively how they're looking at their CMB positioning. The CMB D24s and the June 25s uh, stand out as cheap. And they stand out as cheap because, say, you look at like a a D24 CMB or a March 25 CMB, you know, the asset swaps are around minus 17.5 and minus 16.5, respectively. If you go further out the curve, say you look at like a SEP 26 CMB. So you know, you're, you're going out almost two years from those D's 24s. And the asset swap is about minus 17 at the moment. So it's just completely flat. There is no role owning a CMB SEP 26 and rolling it back down to a CMB D's 24. Whereas if you look at that same trade, say in Proviland, an Ontario June 26, for instance, is around a minus two and an Ontario SEP 24 is around a minus eight. So there is a curve in Proviland. So, you know, that suggests that CMBs are too flat. Those CMB D's 24s and like the March 25 stand out as, as cheap on the curve versus Provis and cheap on asset swaps. So I think that's something kind of worth having a look at. Uh, it also says that stuff further out the CMB curve looks fairly rich. If there's no asset swap carry, then then it's not worth owning. So it makes sense, I think, to maybe sell CMBs further out in 2026s, 2027s, maybe roll that stuff into Provis. And then in the four-year part of the curve, 2024, 2025, uh, to own CMBs. 
All right, thanks, Adam. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here just uh, very very briefly. Last uh, last episode, I talked about uh, swap spreads uh, throughout most of the episode. Uh, they they finally started the move here. We still like being short spreads here. Again, Adam mentioned bank funding coming. Uh, we, we are expecting some issues from the bank uh, that should push spreads lower still from here. So uh, still a trade that we like at this moment. Uh, I'd like to thank both of you gentlemen for uh, joining me this week and I uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Ben. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.